Welcome to the InnovaBuzz podcast, where our job is to help you build visibility, professional credibility, and connection with your ideal client by putting the human at the center of innovative marketing so you can build and strengthen an engaging, enduring relationship with your ideal clients. I'm Jürgen Strauss from InnovaBiz, and I'm honored that you're here with me. If you haven't joined our wonderful marketing transformation community yet, go to innovabiz.co and collect your free gift as well. Do subscribe to the show and also leave a review because it helps others find us. Let's get into today's masterclass on this InnovaBuzz podcast. You've got to connect with people in a way that's different to the mass market so that you can stand up above all of the, 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 the rest of the people that are trying to connect. And so you've got to have a really compelling offer, really, really, really compelling offer so that when people go to your LinkedIn profile, because that's what people do when you connect, they go over to your LinkedIn profile, they'll see someone that's different. They'll see someone that's unique. They'll see someone that is different to the wishwash of people that are out there on social media essentially and be a lot more willing to connect welcome back i hope you've had a fantastic week so far if you haven't listened yet to my recent conversations with arlis dudley cash from solutions by arlis and with the author of Magnetic Stories, Gabrielle Dolan, then do check them out, but only after you've listened to today's conversation. I'm really excited today to welcome to the Innova Buzz podcast as my guest, Oscar Chavez of Growthly Marketing. Oscar is an international keynote speaker and Amazon number one best-selling author and entrepreneur. He's a sales, branding, and marketing expert and a peak performance business coach. Oscar is also mentor to 600 startups and 93,000 entrepreneurs worldwide, big community. With a proven track record of tripling company performance in a single year, Oscar is well-equipped and passionate about helping business people understand how to achieve their full potential in business and also in life. In our conversation, Oscar talked to me about the power of segmenting your day into chunks. We talked about the value of focusing on relationships first and human connection. And Oscar explained his BAHO method for achieving high performance. Without further ado, then let's fly into the hive and get the buzz from Oscar Chavez. Hi, I'm your host, Jürgen Strauss from InnovaBiz, and I'm really excited today to welcome to the InnovaBuzz podcast from Sydney in Australia, Oscar Chavez. He's a sales, branding, and marketing expert, founder of The Boardroom, as well as host of the Business Titans podcast. Welcome to the InnovaBuzz podcast, Oscar. It's a great privilege to have you as my guest. Thank you very much for having me. Now, your focus is, as I mentioned, sales, branding and marketing. You've got um, lead marketing systems that help people grow their companies and build their cash flow, get ahead of the competition and so much more. So I'm really looking forward to exploring that. But before we start talking about all those things, I mean, there's a couple of really interesting things about you. You started your entrepreneurial journey as a magician. So I'm (laughs) curious to let you share some of that story yeah wonderful well i uh in in school i had a a a substitute teacher that came to school and he would do all these magic tricks and for some reason i was just absolutely blown away by by the magic he was producing and i was in in wonder i was in awe i and i feel like i was more interested in it than than most other people and so one day I saw him at the at the local pool hall and he was performing magic for, for absolute strangers. And again, I saw him and I was just so impressed. And I said to him, when, when we were at school, um, when, we were, when I saw him again in school as a substitute teacher, I said to him, his name was Mr. W- his name was Chris Winter. 
And I said to him, Chris, can you take me under your wing? Can you teach me what you know? I really, I really want to learn magic. You know, I've seen you a few times. I'm, I'm very interested in it. And he said to me, you know what, Oscar? I get asked that all the time. And so I, I don't do this for everybody, but I'll tell you what. If you can show me something that impresses me, I will show you what I know. And this is before YouTube, Jürgen. This is before, you know, like you have to read books and it's, you know, it's not easy to learn new things. Not, and, and it's not easy to impress someone who's been in the game for years. And so I did all this research and, and, and learning and learning and learning. And about a week later, I, I came up to him and I said, okay, this is, this is what I'm going to show you. And I showed him uh, something called a rifle pass. Now, I won't explain what that is, but it's, it's with a deck of, deck of cards. And he was like, I've never seen anyone do that before. It was the only thing I knew. It wasn't even a magic trick. It was just that it was just, it was just a, a technique used to control cards. That, that's all it was. It wasn't even a magic trick. He said, I've never seen that before. So he took me under his wing and he taught me everything he knew. Uh, he helped me understand what equipment to get. He, and then we started rehearsing together. And that really taught me the power of mentoring when I was, when I was, you know, 17 years old. I really learned the power of mentoring. And then from there, I really went on to, I wanted to explore the opportunity of turning this to a revenue generating activity. And so I, at 17, I started charging $500 per hour uh, to do magic shows. And I did magic shows for companies like IBM and a, a Shangri-La Hotel. You know, I was a 17-year-old going to all these places where there was where there was loads of booze and there was like Brazilian girls dancing because there was all these corporate um, big wigs, you know, having their end of year celebrations. And I'd be there table to table uh, showing people magic and, and inspiring people with, with all of these tricks. And, and that taught me the, the power of confidence. It taught me that I can get in front of people and, and, and have a conversation. And it taught me just really to get out of my comfort zone. And that, that whole journey really helped me to being the entrepreneur that I am today. Because I'm really not afraid to get in front of people and speak, and and I'm not afraid of being judged because I've been through these experiences. Mm. Yeah, it's a wonderful story, and and it's a little unusual too. So, um, thanks for sharing that with us. Now, what what's the impact you're making in the world today? For for me, I love. Uh, I'm an ambassador for A21, so they're a, they're an organisation that seeks to uh, reach, rescue, and restore the victims of human trafficking. So white collar crime and financial crime, human trafficking is the far, fifth largest industry in the world next to technology mm. and financial services. That's a, it's a multi-trillion dollar industry to be uh, putting people in containers and shipping them across the world, advertising false jobs uh, that people move country to go and take those jobs. But then uh, unfortunately they just become a victim to slavery and then they're, they're sold on the street and much worse. Um, so for me, it's about working as closely as I can with A21 and bringing awareness to the fact that this sort of stuff still happens around the world. And so for me, I just want to do my part to try to make the world better. I think it's important to give back. And so uh, that, that's the impact I, I like to make on the world. Wonderful. Well, you know, it's sad that, it's sad that that's such a big industry. And you know, we see a few examples of that from time to time on, on the news. And it is pretty depressing. So mm. kudos for you to... Um, you know, step up and, and help help do something to change that. Yeah, thank you. All right. And um, on your own business, how do you, um, what are the things you do to generate revenue? And also, how do you find the balance to get enough time to get involved in things like A, uh, A21 and be their ambassador? So for me, it's, 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 it's about, you know, I've always gone through my life, Jürgen, knowing that it's important to implement that what you hear. So, or that what you, which you know. So, you know, success and excellence and genius and all these concepts come from by applying ordinary concepts, but being extraordinary at it. So it's, it's, it's the knowledge that's out there. It's capturing that knowledge and, and implementing it. And so through life, I've been going through and, and hearing various nuggets of, of gold, let's say, or interesting concepts and, and just implementing them. And one of the things that I, that I, that I've learned that I've really become meticulous at implementing is that every wildly successful person that you ever talk to ever is obsessed with being organized. And I heard that and I thought one of, one of my weaknesses is being organized. So I, I, you know, I, I went on this journey to becoming as organized as I could be. 
you know, started, I, you know, one of my coaches uh, is, you know, I, I'm in various different coaching circles, but in one of my coaching circles, there's a few billionaires. And one of them was talking about the power of segmenting your day into 15 minute chunks or into 30 minute chunks. And so I, I implemented that. And that was so difficult for me to do. I, I really did not enjoy it. But through the power of, uh, of repetition, I was able to build it into a habit. So my whole day is segmented. My, 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 my calendar is, uh, is strategized. So I am able to organize myself such that I can do the most important things. And one of the things that I've, uh, one of the secrets that I've learned, um, and it's all about discipline, but before I go to bed, uh, the, the, on, in the day, I will organize the top five things that need to be done for the next day. So that every single day I'm doing the things that make the most material difference to, to my business and to the people around me, because there's a lot of people, uh, there's a lot of people that are depending on me to generate revenue for, for them to, you know, have food on their table. And so it's important for me to continue to operate at a high level and, and focus on predominantly relationship building. So I think that a great CEO will spend 70% of their time on building relationships. They'll spend 20% of their time working on, on, on marketing and branding, and they'll spend 10% of their time looking at finances. And so it's with this in mind that I spend most of my time networking. So spending time with A21, spending time with prospects, spending time with existing customers, and everything else that is not client-facing or back-end gets delegated to someone on my team so that I can make the most productive use of my time and therefore... I'm able to increase my value in the marketplace and increase the value in in the bank account, really. Hmm. Yeah, well, that's, I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot there that um, is really golden advice, and particularly, you know, you wrapped it up there beautifully at the end to say, you know, focusing on spending your time on where you add the most value. Absolutely. So I'm I'm curious. You know, you talked about blocking or, or time blocking into 15 or 30 minute tasks so how does that work so you spend say 30 minutes on on a given activity and then after the 30 minutes you stop and move on to the next one yeah yeah absolutely so my my i have a number of uh, eas and pas in my in my business um depending on what i'm doing at any given time so one of the things I, I do, and it's, it's sad for my EAs and PAs around me because I give them half baked ideas and, and <laughs> because I've, I've dedicated, you know, a certain time to being able to allocate to that particular task. And therefore I'll, I'll have to give them a half, half finished task and say, look, sorry, I wasn't able to finish this. Can you do this on my behalf and, and give them, you know, these, these ideas and concepts that need to be generated. Um, and, and, and I'll have to set some people really like to get everything finished before they release it. And so I do a number of workshops, Jurgen, as well. And, and sometimes I do spend a 10 hours, 15 hours on the actual slides that we're going to use. But then it goes to someone else to get curated and put the final touches on. Even today, I'll give you an example. I'm running a workshop tomorrow. It's a three hour workshop. And we have to build all these new funnel pages in our, in our website. So that people can go afterwards and, and, and get the content that they need because we're offering a, a number of education series uh, afterwards. And none of the funnels and the landing pages were built. All I did was create the slide deck that said, okay, here's the offer. And then I had to pass that on to the team to say, okay, you need to finish the thinking on this. Uh, and can you please just, you know, get it done? And I got lots of questions and I'm kind of like, I don't have time to think about this. What would you do? You know, and keep pushing back the thinking. One of the things in, in leadership that I've always found, one of the most, uh, one of the biggest epiphanies I've ever gotten, uh, and I got it from a, a gentleman by the name of George Ross. So he's uh, Donald Trump's right-hand man before Donald Trump became the, the president. Um, he was part of the, um, the Trump Foundation. So, you know, multi-billion dollar real estate uh, business. He was um, uh, Trump's advisor and he was also on, on Celebrity Apprentice over in the U.S., but his advice, which I've implemented and, and it changed my life, was that people in your organization will always push the thinking back up to you. And so I think that this is one of the, the reasons that leaders and even salespeople get stuck because when there's an element of thinking involved, the team around you, so let's say it's a billing, so let's say you're a salesperson and there's a billing inquiry, for instance, and the customer service team will need to do a little bit of thinking. They'll always come back to sales and go, hey, can you help me with this problem? So that's when they need to identify that somebody has pushed the thinking back up to them and they need to then push the thinking back down so that the person can stand on their own two feet 
and that they can build their own level of competency and thinking. For some reason, Jurgen, people don't want to do the thinking when they're when they're when they when they've got multiple different ideas. They can see the problems easily. I mean, anybody can like anyone can see a problem, but to see a solution now that 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 takes some hard work. And thinking is the most important part in business in any sales career or, or, or anyone that's in consulting or coaching. You've got to spend the time thinking about strategy. You've got to spend the time thinking about the next five moves. You've got to spend your time thinking about the future. So I, as a, as a daily practice, as a daily ritual, I try to get as far in the future as I can. My, my schedule is booked out you know, a month in advance minimum. And, and I try to orchestrate my life in such a way that it's all predestined. I've just got to wake up in the morning and do the things that have already been put in my calendar a month ago, and I'll continue to be wildly successful. So there, there are a couple of the, and I'm, I'm, you know, fleshing out a number of, of key themes, but I think mm. they're some of the key themes that are, that are really important. Yeah. Well, one of the things you mentioned there was the importance of having a team around you that are capable of stepping up and, and taking on some of those activities and and thinking about them and actually not just implementing instructions but thinking about how to achieve a result and and doing that how do you build a team like that and more importantly how do you build a culture within the team that um, they feel empowered to take on those tasks and try things out and also they are able to build the skills yeah, that's a, it's a good question, and I think it comes down to it, it comes down to building a culture. And and so, how do you build a culture? The first thing to do from building a cultural perspective on on the business is actually building a set of values within the organization. And so, if you define a couple of key values that are important to the to the team, you've got to roll these values out and train the team on those values. And one of our values is productivity, right? One one of those values is to my team that they understand is that my my time is just it's so limited that I don't have the capacity to get involved in every single little decision and every single movement that comes past, and so they know that I carry a, a revenue target on my head, and that 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 revenue uh, target is broken down per hour, and I let them know what I need to be doing on an hourly basis, right? And I recommend that every business owner do that. So if they take, let's say, if you take your annual income, you divide that number by 2040, you'll come up with a number. That, that's the amount of working hours in a year. And so if you know your worth, let's say it's $20 per hour or $50 per hour, $3,000 or $10,000 or, or even $50,000 per hour, you can roll that number out to your team and say, this is what I'm focused on. So unfortunately, sometimes I'm going to ask you to do things that make you uncomfortable. You're going to have to get creative with solutions. That, that's the first aspect of, of the, of the culture. The, the other aspect is, is actually going through that process of cloning yourself. What does that mean? It means that there's, there's a, there's a thinking chain below me of people that can execute, but when they have a problem, they can go to someone above them and ask the right questions. So today in the example that I gave you, I pushed that back to my COO. And she said, do I really have to do the thinking on this? And I said, I'm not doing the thinking on it. I've, I've got back-to-back -back meetings all day, so I, I can't do the thinking. So either you push the thinking back onto the individual or you sit with that person and you do the thinking on, on, on their behalf. As to which she responded to him, look, I just, I just don't have the time to think about this. What would you do? What would the solution be that you do? So part of it is the discipline as an individual to note that we've got to train people to do the thinking on their own and to come up with the solutions on their own and to take accountability and responsibility for the solutions uh, that are that are built within the team, and I think those two things are the, are the things that we really need to do in order to build those teams around us: productivity, build the culture, uh, and then I will add a th I will add a third thing because I think this is fundamentally important: is the the notion of uh, SOPs, standard operating procedures. So in our in our business, we should have uh, a myriad of SOPs for various different things that need to get done. That is that says step one, you do this. Step two, you do this. You log into this console, you click on this button. Step three, once you've clicked on that button, you go over to this platform and you grab this piece of thing and you copy it over here, right? Step. So what what needs to happen when you're building an organization is that there needs to be pr processes in place or SOPs in place. So that when people make mistakes, you can point back to this SOP and say, hey, that was actually an SOP. Why was it missed? Right. And so it's either the, the process was wrong 
or the person didn't follow the process. They really should be the only two issues in the business. If the process was wrong, then update the process and keep the fidelity of that process. If the person was wrong, then you use the technique of what we call in, in leadership a, a one-minute reprimand, which is saying to the person, hey, we have processes for a reason. We, we love to avoid mistakes. Sometimes my CEOs even had conversations with the team that, that, that she'll say, you know, Oscar really has a, has a strong brand. And so we, we have a low tolerance for mistakes. So please make sure that in the future you follow the pr process that we've set out for you so that we can maintain a high quality brand. So I think those three things layered on top of each other are what people need to do to really build a, a team around them. So, and how do you marry that, um, you know, that strictness of adhering to process, for example, with um, empowering people to make decisions so that you're, you're not having to make every decision? Yeah, for sure. There, there is a, an element of some things just cannot be systemized or, or processed. And so in, in those instances, they'll, they'll come for help, they'll come for troubleshooting, and we'll help them uh, develop those solutions on their own. So we have, um, so it, it's strict in terms of, you know, when, where the process exists, follow the process. And we aim to have as many processes to uh, build that consistency and that repeatability. But there's going to be some um, times where the processes expire and the processes no longer work. So I'll give you an example. We, we had a situation, um, you know, we, 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 we have a course called the $3 million LinkedIn Playbook, which is essentially a series of scripts and strategies that people can use to book high quality le uh, leads on LinkedIn. Now, link LinkedIn's algorithm changed and mm. it changed it through every, all of our processes out the window overnight. Uh, we could only make, uh, 30% of the connections that we used to make. It used to be a numbers game. You make 60 connections on LinkedIn, you get a certain amount of phone calls on the other end, right? It was, it was, it was basic math. Now that didn't exist. So what we, what we had to do is we had to go to our EA, um, or one of our PAs on, on, on my LinkedIn. And we had to say, well, look, this is all gone out the window. Can you please go and do some research? find out what the new strategies, what, what could we be potentially doing? And then she went and updated the process. Mm. The part of it is empowering the individual that when the process doesn't work, that they then own the process. So instead of we create the process and we own the process, we create the process and they own the process so that anytime something changes, we get them to go back and update the process so that we've always got that high level of process uh, in place. When the process can't exist, then we, we coach people. That's where coaching comes in and, and leadership comes in. We coach people to make the right decisions and we help them problem solve whenever they have problems. Hmm. Yeah, I like that. So you, you basically have a process owner who's the person that essentially runs the process or, or runs the team that runs the process. Yeah, absolutely. Hmm. All right. Uh, you touched on LinkedIn there and, and changes in the algorithm. Um, I know one of the things you are very strong on, and you mentioned earlier that uh, a large part of your time is spent on relationship building and networking. So um, give us a little bit of an overview or some tips on how you can use virtual networks like LinkedIn, for example, to um, develop connections and, and start to grow your business, you know, bring customers on board from, from that virtual network. Yeah, when, when I, I, I did a lot of work extensively in, in intelligence for banking. And, and what that really means is, is that banks take various different intelligence feeds from multiple different sources, which is in, in essence, trillions of lines of information. And they plot that all on a, on a graph. And what you notice about all of that information is that all of those dots of, of plotted are right in, right, are central. And so what that means is that all those points within the graph, you can ignore all of that and you're looking for the, what they call outliers in intelligence. When you find a piece of, a, a piece of information that is an outlier, that's where you've got to go in and you've got to research and you've got to understand what's happened in that, in that particular aspect. And the same is true of marketing. When, you know, people get bombarded with a hundred different requests per day, you know, buy this, buy the Nike shoes, buy this, uh, you know, ice cream buy this car, buy these great clothes, buy these headphones, buy these pair of socks, you know, like people are getting bombarded all day, every day with, with sales messages. And so what people can do to make more connections, because that's, that's the first layer of, of, of any sale is that first piece of, of connectivity is, is connecting with people. 
is you've got to connect with people in a way that's different to the mass market so that you can stand up above all of the, 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 the rest of the people that are trying to connect. And so you've got to have a really compelling offer, a really, really, really compelling offer so that when people go to your LinkedIn profile, because that's what people do when you connect, they go over to your LinkedIn profile, they'll see someone that's different. They'll see someone that's unique. They'll see someone that is, is, is different to the wish wash of people that are out there on, on, on social media, essentially, and be a lot more willing to connect. The, the second thing is once you've connected in, in, and you've turned your brand into an outlier brand, meaning you're very specific, you're very focused, uh, you sound different to everything else out there, out there in the market, you've become an outlier. Uh, the second thing to do is 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 not pitch, right? A lot of people, when they slide into your DMs, they're like, hey, you know, I run a marketing agency and I can get you more qualified leads, right? It's like you've got to, you've got to um, firstly build build a level of credibility before you start pitching an idea. So uh, one of the things I do is is put myself on the same level as the CEO I'm trying to connect with. And I say, hey, I like connecting with like-minded CEOs, right? Then when they connect... Uh, the, the word synergy has made me more money than any other word, Jürgen. And, and I asked them to connect for a, for a 15 minute synergy session. And what that really means is that we're looking for opportunities to collaborate that are going to be low friction, but high return. That, that's what the word synergy means. Or when you look at uh, synergy, when you're merging businesses together, and you mentioned the boardroom before boardroom, uh, collectively has done over 17 billion in mergers and acquisitions. Uh, and 50 rapid turnarounds and help companies increase their sales by 1.2 billion. We love the term synergy in mergers and acquisitions because it means, quite simply, that one plus one equals three. A lot of people in business are running companies that are either one times one equals one or mm. one plus one equals two, and that's bad. What you want is a company that's one plus one equals three or one plus one equals seven. Or in some cases, we've seen one plus one equal 100, where a company is getting a 100x multiplier on their company valuation because of how solid their business is. And so what you really want to do is find the synergy with these other people that you're connecting with so that you can now build a little bit more credibility and that person now trusts you a little bit more uh, when you're having these conversations with people. And I always like the other, the other key takeaway I'll, I'll give to people when they finally connect with people and get people on a phone call is that the person listening is the person selling. A lot of people in sales think that it's the, it's the, gift, <laughs> yeah. the gift of the gab, right? Sales, the gift of the gab. That's actually not true. The person listening is the person selling. And so a lot of people in sales kind of think to themselves, well, the more I speak, the more the, the better chances I'll have of doing this deal. It's actually not that at all. Uh, it, you've, got, you've got to be in a position to listen. And that's where innovation comes from as well, because the more you listen to your customers, and the more you think of ways to do things better, then that's where innovation springs from. Mm. Yeah, I love it. I mean, you, you know, I, I really like the idea of starting off with, um, you know, a conversation that builds a relationship and couching it in terms of um, let's have a synergy session where, you know, we might be able to explore ways that together we can create value for both of us. And, and as you said, you know, more than just one times one or one plus one uh, and then you know it, it may actually lead to some joint venture activity or it may lead to direct business but it starts a relationship it starts a conversation and i i still see it so often i i actually um complained back to linkedin this week on somebody that um you know i, I think i accepted a connection request probably a month or so ago and I, I sort of reflected back and think, oh, I probably made a mistake on that connection request. Usually I don't accept a connection request unless somebody's actually giving, given me something compelling. And it might be as simple as, hey, I heard your uh, podcast episode with Oscar, really loved the conversation, um, would love to connect and, and, and talk further. And if somebody takes the time to send me a message like that, then I'm inclined to accept them. If somebody just clicks the button and says connect, I sort of tend to ignore that. Sometimes I'll have a look at their profile and think, you know, uh, do I want to connect with them? But as you said earlier, you know, we, we, we're so pressed for time that I think, well, I've got better things to do with my time, actually. And this this particular person um, sent me, uh, the, the immediate response after I connected was, 
hey, we've got this marketing program and uh, it's a special deal right now and here it is, sign up here. And you know, hang on, I don't even know you yet. And then, and, and worse, so I ignored that, but worse was a week later, the same, did you see my earlier message? And then another week later, you haven't responded to my message yet. Did you see my message? So then I, then I said, then I looked, I happened to glance over and see the spam button in, in the LinkedIn message. And I thought, okay, I'm going to mark this as spam. And then I sent a message to LinkedIn. Um, and they came back and said, oh, we've investigated this. They didn't violate the conditions. Um, but you're welcome to um, block them from your feed. So I've done that. But yeah, so many people still do that. Uh, and, and yet, you know, I mean, for a start, it's not effective, but it's also, I think it's kind of rude. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's rude as well. When, you, when you're constantly saying, uh, did you, you know, did you get my message? Did you get my message? And I, I just think it's a rude way to, to operate. So the people that operate in that way will never, will never have a successful business. Uh, you, you've got to find ways, like I said, to be an outlier and, and not sound like every single other person um, because that, that's really the only way you start to build that credibility. The, the other thing is is relevancy. So whenever I send a message, it's got to be relevant to the person. Mm. Uh, otherwise, you know, you just, you just get uh, lost in the wash that is the noise of social media. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. And, and again, um, it's... What what I was saying earlier, if somebody takes the time to send you a personalised message that's relevant, that that like if they refer to this conversation, for example, or they look at your profile and say, "Hey, I see, uh, I see Oscar. Hey, I see you're a magician when you were younger. I'm, I'm I'm really interested in magic. Let's have a conversation." Now that would get your attention, right? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so. Um, one of the things, one of your areas of specialty is sales, and you mentioned a moment ago the person selling is the uh, one listening. Uh, what are some other tips you have for people that want to be better at sales? So one of the things that it was a, a career-defining moment for me was that you know, I, I used to, I used to have to do a lot of entertaining and, and going to, you know, cocktail parties and, and meeting with, uh, people that were, were much more senior than, than I was, right? Really, you know, high level executives. And one of the things that, that, that always held me back, I feel was, is it was, uh, harsh self criticism <laughs> and, and that, that inner voice that's in your head that is worried about being judged. And, and if you have that inner voice where you're meeting with someone brand new, maybe you're prospecting and you get really, you know, scared of like today I had a sales engagement. Uh, and I mean, I've been working on, on this deal for about nine months now. It's, it's a capital raising deal. And there was a moment in our conversation. It was the longest awkward silence. And I actually don't call them awkward silence. It's just the longest silence that I've ever had in my, in my entire life. It was at least. A whole minute of silence. Now, when you're talking to someone and there's a whole minute of silence, it can, it can get very awkward. For me, it's not awkward because I know that I'm giving that person the space to think. And if I say something, I could interrupt a thought pattern where they could reveal a, a critical piece of information that I need to know in, in terms of maybe they have a reservation about working with me. Maybe there's an unanswered question in their mind about why they don't trust what I'm saying. Maybe there's a, a an element in their in their business where they think could be materially impacted negatively if we do business together. And so you've got to give people the space and the time to actually think things through in your sales engagements. And the be the best the most profitable person you can be is yourself. And so I highly recommend that people go on a, on a personal development journey. Maybe they can do a few online um, personality assessments like the Myers-Briggs is really good. Uh, the DISC profiling is really good. There's a number of, of various different personality profiles which will give you a, 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 a slightly better view of who you are as an individual. And I think once you go on that personal development journey and you stop the negative self-talk in the head, uh, you, you you stop worrying about getting judged so much, then I think you can really ascend your sales career to the next level. One of the things that I that I think is really powerful out that springs and emerges out of that 
is a really strong desire to connect with executives. So a lot of people that are trying to expand their business or they're, they're trying to do things in a new way, they will they will neglect the executive. They'll meet with the, the, the lower level non-decision makers. Uh, maybe they're an influencer. Maybe they're not even an influencer. But I always start at the top. I always start at the executive layer because I'm, I'm not afraid of getting judged. I feel that as a human being, that I can give value to people that not, that not, not everybody has the full spectrum of, of knowledge and I can, I can add material value to people's lives. And so with that mindset, I'm, I'm happy to connect with, with executives. And usually what happens is there's a filtering down and the executive might say yes. Probably 50% of the time, the executive will say yes to me. 50% of the time, he'll say, go and speak to this person instead. And so I'll go and form that relationship on the back of meeting with the executive. So my advice to people would be, you know, get, get that personal development journey happening. Uh, but at the same time, make sure that you're connecting with the relevant executives because everybody has value in this world to give. If you're willing to listen and you're willing to, um, you know, be a vessel for transformation or maybe a vessel for some insights, uh, into some of your own key experiences, then I think you'll be a much more successful person in business. Mm, yeah, I love it. There's, I, I think there's three sort of key points there. If I could just sort of try to summarize what I heard, and that's um, you know being really strong on self-awareness, and and that's taking that personal journey to develop that, and and that's a lifelong journey really, because you know that's like the inner voice is still there. Um, but yes. you know, being having that self-awareness, then bringing value and being confident that that value is actually of value to somebody else. And often we, we kind of underestimate how valuable an insight or uh, uh, some knowledge that we have is to others. And then thirdly, not to be afraid to um, speak to people that may have a higher status or profile than you do. Yeah. And it becomes of material importance. You know, the larger the deal, the slower things move. And so you have to have that executive engagement so that when things fall to pieces or things slow down or whether there's going to be a million things that, that go wrong in, in a day in, in a large deal. And so you've got to have that executive backing so you can go back to them and say, hey, you know, these things that we wanted to do together unfortunately uh, it's it's not panning out that way I'll, I'll give you a quick example I was doing a, a large deal uh, with one of our largest insurance organizations it was a very large strategic global deal and I sat down with the chief information security officer now the product I was selling was at a 7x premium right so it's only for the segment of the market that is willing to work really hard to be secure it's not for the the general market that just wants to tick a box. And so I sat down with the chief information security officer and I said, look, when, when you're looking for security partners, you've got two types of buyers. You've got the people that want to tick the box and you've got the people that want to work really hard, really strategically to make sure that your business is truly protected. Which of those two do, do you, which category of those do you fall into? And he said, well, we really want to work closely with our partners because we want that, you know, we've got a big brand to, and, and reputation to protect. Uh, therefore, we have to work closely with our partners. And I said, I'm really glad that you said that because I just want to let you know up front that we charge seven times more than the competition. So when it gets down to proposal, I want you to know that we're going to be seven times more expensive because the rest of your team is going to be pulling you in the other direction to tick the box. But you've made this decision that you're that you're willing to actually work really closely with your partners and, and all this kind of stuff. He said, yeah, good, good, good. Exactly that happened later on as we went down and the, the security architects and the people looking at the technology and the screwdrivers and what screwed into what, um, their recommendation was to go with one of our competitors because of the price. Mm. And I then had to go back up to the chief information security officer and say, look, I'm, I'm hearing rumors uh, that your team is. And, and again, you've got to build multiple different friendships within within the business so that you can get all this inside information. But I went back to him and I said, I'm hearing murmurs and I'm hearing through the grapevine that your team is really pushing for the other direction, even though we said in the first meeting that you really wanted to work with someone and that you weren't a tick box organization. Um, is, is, are you still, are you still committed to working really closely with a partner that can help protect you and that you're not trying to tick the box? 
He said, look, let me solve that problem for you. Let me, let me go and fix that. So he went and spoke to all the people that reported up to him and said, no, we have to go with, with, with Oscar's technology. Uh, otherwise, we're not going to be protected as an organization. So any other kind of anyone that's selling into an organization, if they don't have those key executive relationships, when things go wrong, they just sit around and wait for and, and pray and hope that that things will will go in their in their favor. Whereas, you know, I, I feel sorry for the people that sell against me, Jürgen. But you know, <laughs> I, I have those strategic yeah. relationships that I, I just don't lose deals. It just doesn't happen hmm. because I work really hard to get the uh, to get the executive buy-in before I lift another finger. If if I don't have the executive buy-in. I'm going somewhere else where I have the executive buy-in and I'll work with them specifically. Otherwise, I'm spinning my wheels and I'm wasting my time. And like I said before, my day is chunked in 15-minute increments and I'm wildly productive and I just don't have the time to fool around. So mm. uh, that, that's there's some of the things that I think the skills that people need to develop uh, if they're trying to expand their business. And I, I really do think that a great CEO will be out there evangelizing, talking to other executives, and building that credibility and that authority within their industry so that their business can grow faster. Mm. Yeah, it's a great example of of the power of having great relationships right across the board from you know the top key decision makers down through the team that uh, is responsible for the implementation. Yeah. Well, this is fabulous, Oscar. I'm, I'm just um, aware of the time. I want to be respectful of your time. You have the 15. We've got, I think we end up with uh, three or four of the 15-minute segments of your calendar today. So I want to be respectful of that. Um, I think it's a good time to move on to the buzz, which is our innovation round. It's the same five questions I ask of every guest on the show. The idea is that you'll share some tips from your experience and inspire the listener to go and take some action and do something awesome today as a result. All right, let's do it. Yep. <laughs> What's the number one thing you think anyone needs to do to be more innovative? Well, they, they have to be just hyper-focused on two things. One is hyper-focused on the customer, get in their dreams, get in their aspirations, <laughs> get in their frustrations, get into their pain points, uh, most importantly, figure out what their goals are in the next 12 months and also why. And, and that is, is how you build the basis for innovation. Uh, and, and, and the other thing is to be obsessed with the word better. You know, people, you know, do people want a good watch or do they want a better watch? Do they want a good car or a better car? The human, the human desire is to have things that are better. And so we need to really focus on how can we be better? How can we do more? How can we change this, uh, this process or this technology or, or do things better for our clients? And I think they'll be successful. And the other piece of advice I got from a wonderful uh, chief digital officer, her name is Melissa McFarland. She was the chief digital officer of Westpac. She said, when you're innovating and you're trying to build a car, you, you do not build a car. You build a wheel, which is a function, a functional prototype so that you get some value out of that wheel as you go through the innovation journey. Then you put two of those wheels together and you create a scooter so that at least you get some movement out of that innovation process. Then once that works for you, you can then put an electric motor on that on that scooter uh, to now get the movement and get function and be able to sell that scooter up until you then build your car. So when when people are innovating, you know, I've, I've like, a, you know, I've worked with 92,000 businesses across uh, eFriends.com and 600 uh, businesses with the New South Wales Startup Hub. I can't tell you how many great ideas I see, but the ideas are too broad. They're like, it mm. does everything. Like in, in anything you could possibly, my application will do it. And so when you're innovating, you've got to break it down to the smallest, uh, at the seed of, of, of what it can do and what problem it can solve so that you can actually have steam in the tank to do the journey. Most people give up. Most businesses fail. That's the reality of it. And so if we want to give people the best chances of success, they have to tackle a very small use case and do it better than anyone else in the world. And that's where innovation is born from. Mm. Yeah, that's a great, uh, great metaphor. And it's essentially the lean methodology, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Now, what's the best thing you've done to develop new ideas? So I, I plan 30-minute strategic thinking sessions in every day. So I don't lift a finger or do any work at all until my strategic thinking is done. 
and I've, I've, I run a process called horizontal strategic thinking and also vertical strategic thinking. So I, I spend some time with, with horizontal strategic thinking, meaning what do I need to do in the future? What are the next few steps? What are the things I haven't done yet that I need to implement? So I do that. And then I do vertical strategic thinking, which is what's one problem I'm going to think deeply about for the next five to 10 minutes until I have a solution. And that, that, that is where innovation is born from. And also writing all the ideas down. A lot of people leave things in their head. Mm. It's not, it's not a good storage mechanism. We have <laughs> to get things down, uh, either on paper. Or I actually prefer software. Get things down in, into software and start building your data repository or your fact base for the innovation. And I think if you start structuring, uh, your life and your thoughts a lot more effectively, then you can actually innovate much more effectively. Mm, yeah, I love that. I I have a thing called a brain dump database, and um, yeah. uh, usually I I end up collecting post-it notes on my desk during the week. So anytime something pops up that that isn't relevant to what I'm doing right now, it goes on the post-it notes, and those post-it notes at the end of the day end up either in the bin or um, well, they all end up in the bin, but uh, the idea on them might end up in the brain dump board before they go into the bin. And then I can revisit that in some of those thinking sessions. Yeah, awesome. I mm. love it. All right. Uh, favorite resource that you use most often? So from, I, I love Asana. My whole life is in Asana. Uh, it, it is just a, a wonderful uh, productivity tool and, and, you know, that whole process of getting more productive. Uh, you know, I learned to build Kanban boards in Asana so that everything's segmented and, and I just, I love the tool. I just think it's, if people can get good at organizing and collecting their thoughts and writing them down and having a to-do list, um, I, I think that's the most, uh, that's, that's the, that's the best productivity hack I can give anyone. And the other thing to, one of the tasks to create in your Asana is to, to create a to-be list within your Asana. Since everyone has a to-do list, how many people have a to-be list? Yeah. Uh, and so what am I going to be? Who am I going to be as an individual? So I would suggest creating one of those actions for everybody, create a to-be list, and then that's always in your list of things to do is to achieve who you want to be. Mm, that's cool. I like the to-be list, yeah. Um, and Asana is one of those tools. I mean, I've got a bit of a love-hate relationship with Asana. We've, we're kind of wedded to it for our project management, but I am slowly navigating things away from there and I can see the day ahead of us where we might move to something that I think will suit us better. But, you know, Asana is, is a wonderful tool. There's no doubt about it. Hmm. So what's the best way to keep a client or a project on track? It's, it's mutual accountability. It is um, calling things out. It is uh, regular scrums. So for the important projects that I have, I, I book weekly scrums with people where we just go over uh, what the priorities are and what the accountability metrics are. So when things fall off schedule, you've got to be able to call it out and, and hold people accountable and then say to them, you know, what, well, what, what can I do to help you actually achieve these goals? Or is there anything I can do? And then reaffirm the why, you know, Simon Sinek has this wonderful book, Start With Why. I think that's always important when you, when you're holding people accountable is take them back to the why. Um, I had a situation today with one of my largest partners that they have, have been promising something now for two months and they have not delivered. And so I, and it's one of our partners, right? Like how, you know, one of your, one of your clients. So how can you hold your clients accountable? And I said to him, we, we, we put this up, we put this commitment up to the board. So now we're on the same team, right? I said, we put this commitment up to the board. I'm getting questions from the board all day. And so what, what can I do to help you? unblock that what can we do to help move it a bit closer um so that we're not in this situation in a month's time from now and he said okay I'll, I'll take a few actions i'll make sure that i get this done and again in the weekly scrum then you've got to then hold people accountable to what they promised they would do uh the, the old notion is uh trust but verify so you've got to trust that people will do hmm. what they say they're going to do but you also have to verify it and just make sure that it gets done yeah yeah that's a fine balance isn't it dude um but you're right you know the accountability is such an important part of it yeah. Okay, and long stuff that yeah. below me. So I got that list every week. <laughs> um, we talked a little bit about this during the conversation, but maybe you can recap for us the number one thing anyone can do to differentiate themselves. Um, okay, so so when you're when you're a let's say you're a shoe company 
and you want to you want to invest money in, in 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 marketing for marketing your shoes. There was this wonderful shoe that Puma had created, and they what they decided to do was, hey, if, if Nike is investing in in, in 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 shoes for athletes, then hey, we're going to do the same thing because hmm. when the the whole world sees our shoe on this Olympic gold medal winner, then they're going to go out and run out and buy our shoes. What actually happened was that the whole world saw the Olympic gold medal winner was wearing a Puma shoe. In the consumer's mind, it was a, it was a Nike shoe. It wasn't even a Puma shoe. <laughs> so all of their marketing spend went straight to their competitor's bottom line because everybody went out and wanted to buy Nike shoes, and they did. And so what people can do to differentiate themselves is to carve their own lane in the swimming pool and swim specifically in that lane. So if you look at the K-Swiss shoe, they started being materially successful. And I'm talking this, about this because I, because I know the CEO, Barry. I've met him before. Um, and he, he explained the story that when they were looking at taking shoes to market, they, they thought, what is underserved in the shoe market? They chose that it would be entrepreneurial shoes because nobody was making shoes for entrepreneurs. So what did they do? They went to Gary Vaynerchuk and they said, Hey, we want to create a shoe for entrepreneurs. And they, they've now got the K-Swiss entrepreneur shoe and that, that became really wildly profitable because they weren't competing against Nike. They weren't competing against Puma. They weren't competing against Adidas. They're competing against themselves. So for people that want to differentiate and, and do something different, they have to differentiate by carving out their own lane when nobody competes against them, um, niching down or niching down, depending on where you're, where you're from. I say niche, uh, niche down as, as, as much as you can so that you are differentiated and not like anyone else in the market. Hmm. Yeah, and that's a great example to highlight that. That is is really important. And I think, I, I don't know who to attribute this quote to, but I, I really love it saying that, um, you know, you shouldn't focus so much on your competitors because they're not the ones paying, you, paying your salary or your income. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. All right. Well, this has been fabulous, Oscar. Um, really a great conversation. Now, where can people find out more about you, uh, reach out maybe to even... Thank you for what you shared today. So I'm on uh, on Facebook at, uh, uh, they can type in Oscar Chavez Entrepreneur is my handle on Facebook. Uh, on Instagram, it's The Oscar Chavez. Uh, and my website is www.oscar-chavez.com. Okay, and we'll we'll post all those links in the show notes, of course. Yeah, wonderful. Do you have some parting advice for our listener today as we wrap it up? Yeah, so the, the, the one thing that I've been spruiking around in all these various podcasts and things that I do is, is, is the, the, what I call the Baho method. And I think it's really important that everybody understand this. I'll give you the, I can break this down for hours, but I'll give you the, the very quick snapshot of it. B-A-H-O stands for beliefs, actions, habits, and outcomes. So I've read hundreds of books. I've been trained by speed reading and learning by Howard Berg, who's the Guinness World Record holder in speed reading and learning. And I've learned to digest information very quickly. And the key thing from all these books that I've read is that there is a pattern that we need, that we all need to understand. And that pattern is if we look at the outcome in our lives, we can look at any outcome, what we're doing today, what we're doing right now, the weight on the scale, the money in, in our bank account, what our relationships are like with our partner, any single outcome in our lives, we can reverse engineer that and understand why we have that outcome through the Baho method. So, Again, if we understand our beliefs, our belief systems, our beliefs turn into actions. And if we have those actions consistently, they turn into habits. And then if we have those habits consistently, they, they relate to the outcomes in life. So a lot of people talk about high performance habits, and that's great because we need to develop the right habits. But if you want high performance outcomes, you've got to have high performance beliefs. Hmm. But if you shift the beliefs in your life, if you have an outcome, like for instance, uh, if, if you get out, if you, if you don't like getting out of bed in the morning, maybe there's a certain belief system attached to that. And if you cut that belief system, then you can have a new outcome in your life. And so when people are looking at their life, they've got to understand that every single belief they have has material impact on what they do in life. You know, if they're throwing stones at the government saying, Oh, the government doesn't do this and the government, like that's a belief that then creates a certain outcome in our life. If we have a certain belief about what we should be doing on a day-to-day -day basis, that in, in terms of productive output, that impacts the amount of money we have in our bank. So if anybody's unhappy that's listening to this, any, anyone's unhappy with anything in their life, go into the self and start identifying what are the belief systems that are trapping me in this reality 
and finding a way to cut out those belief systems so that they can have a new reality. So that's that's what I'll leave the listeners with. Mm, yeah, I love it. And that's a, that was a really good explanation of that. I think you, know, you go back and say, well, I've got this bad habit um, of, um, well, you talked about weight. So let's say I've got this bad habit. And in fact, this is me. I have this bad habit of snacking on nuts in the evening before I go to bed. And of course, nuts are good for you, but um, snacking on them repeatedly it adds a lot of calories because they're very calorie dense. And so if I'm unhappy with my weight and I want to lose weight, well, then I've got to stop doing that. And to stop doing that, um, I can change the habit. But that's really hard work because there's always going to be this pull. Oh, I know the nuts are there. Um, and uh, the actions, so it's the belief, yeah. Yeah, it's the belief of what you like. What 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 do you feel that those nuts are doing for you before bed? Mm. Right. That that's the that's the belief you've got to uh, tackle into. And if you change that belief, then you can change your habits quite easily. That's right. And if I hold on to whatever belief is is driving that right now, then I I can work really hard on the habits and the actions. But it's just you know it's going to be hard work, and at some point I'm going to slip back. Yeah, absolutely. A great explanation. All right. Um, finally, then, who else should I get on this show and why? Uh, that's, a, that's a good question. Um, you know, a, a guy I interviewed, and, and he also interviewed me, his name is Mark Golston. Uh, he is the oh, okay. creator of, of, of Surgical Empathy. Hmm. Um, just just a, a wonderful, yeah, we've insightful had, man. We've had Mark on the show, so I know him. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. He, he's so good. I love Mark. Yeah, yeah. And I listened to your um, interview with him as well. So. Oh, great, mm. great. I love it. Um, who else? Anyway, we might follow up with you later if you think of somebody else. Yeah, we'll do. Mm. All right. Well, I mean, and we're happy to have Mark back on. I'm sure there's lots to talk about. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Great guy. All right. Well, thanks so much for sharing your time and your insights with us so generously today, Oscar. I really appreciate you making time in your in your busy calendar for us and, and sharing those insights. I've enjoyed this conversation a lot, so I hope we stay in touch and all the best for the future. Will do. Really appreciate your time. Thank you very much. I hope you enjoyed that really informative and valuable conversation with Oscar and took something away from his episode. Oscar's idea of applying ordinary concepts and, and being extraordinary at it is a really fascinating approach and it simplifies things. I'd love to know what you took away from Oscar's episode. Leave a comment below the blog post, which you can find at innovabiz.co forward slash Oscar Chavez. That is O-S-C-A-R-C-H-A-V-E-Z or Z for my American friends. All lowercase, all one word, innovabiz.co forward slash Oscar Chavez. You'll also find contact information there for getting in touch with Oscar, as well as links to the Growthly Marketing website, to Oscar's books, to the Business Titans podcast, to Oscar's social media pages and the other resources we spoke about in our conversation today. If you like this episode and you got value from it, please share that value with other people that it might help. And tag me in on that share so that I can reach out to you with a special thank you. Oscar suggested that we have a conversation with global success coach Jacob Galea on a future InnovaBuzz podcast episode. So Jacob, keep an eye on your inbox for an invitation from us to the InnovaBuzz podcast, courtesy of Oscar Chavez. Tune in again to the next episodes of the InnovaBuzz podcast, where we've got yet more fantastic guests lined up, including Trey Taylor, author of A CEO Only Does Three Things, and Janet Neal of Next Steps Navigation. Thanks for listening to this episode. Make sure you subscribe to the show to be reminded of new episodes. It's free to subscribe. Leave a review if you like. Even if you don't like me, I'm okay with that. I'm asking you to leave a review because it helps other people find this show. 
Go to innovabiz.co to join our marketing transformation community and access a free gift my team and I made for you. It's the Marketing Master Mini Class. We want to give you everything you need to transform your marketing into a human-centered, relationship-focused growth engine. Until next time, I'm Jürgen Strauss from InnovaBiz. Remember, be awesome and keep innovating.